welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. The title of the message this afternoon is Removed Before Wrath. Removed Before Wrath. How many of you saw, ever saw the tag of removed before flight? <laughs> yeah. Okay, removed before wrath is all about, of course, our removal before the wrath of God. And, and why is it that I'm sharing this message? One of the most frequent questions or requests that I get from people via social media is um, to make a case for the pre-tribulation rapture over the course of the Bible. Many of us believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Many of us, though, find it hard to make a case when we are being attacked or tackled by those who believe in the mid or the post-tribulation rapture, or those who don't even believe in the rapture. No, I will make it very clear. This is not about um, <clears throat> winning an argument here. What I want to do is basically strengthen your security in why you believe what you believe, why we believe what we believe. And it's important that we also understand that most people don't even believe in the rapture. Most of people around the world that call themselves Christians don't even believe in the concept of the rapture. They don't. So for them, mid, post, pre, I mean, this whole thing is nonsense to begin with. But for those who do, the disagreement concerning the timing uh, of when uh, it will take place is also very troubling. Now, the word removal indicates some sort of separation. You're being removed. You're basically being separated from where you were before. And the first removal recorded in Scripture pertains the sin that entered the world in the Garden of Eden. And that was a tragedy because man was being basically removed from the presence of God due to sin. And we all remember the separation of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, so he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The last thing God wanted is that now sinful people will run and get the tree of life and then live forever. And it's interesting because at the time when God created the world, what did he say about the world? It was what? Good. The world that God created was good, was actually very good. So the separation, the removal of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden was the removal of the bad from what? From a good place. That was the case until Genesis chapter 6. We, we can see how the world deteriorated ever since Genesis 3, all the way that by Genesis 6, something terrible is already being reported. That led, of course, to the separation of Noah from the pre-flood world. In Genesis 6, verses 5 to 8, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. The Lord was looking from above on earth and he saw all people and he saw that all people are wicked. The Bible says every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only 
evil continually. Not only that they killed each other and that they did evil things, every thought of the heart was evil, only evil, nothing good. There was nothing good in man's heart. And it was continually. In other words, it, it, it continued without stopping. It was so bad that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. Chapter 6 already, he's sorry. It took us three chapters <laughs> to already destroy this place. And the Bible says that the Lord was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. I am sorry that I have made them. God was looking for, give me one reason to not destroy this place. One reason not to get rid of humanity. One reason not to get, get this planet Earth gone. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Of all the wicked people and all the great wickedness and evil in their hearts, he found someone. And for that someone, he didn't totally, completely destroy all humankind, but he actually preserved a few. And that was not the only time the separation of the good is now from the bad. Because up until, remember, up until um, Adam and Eve, it was, the, the, remember, it was the bad that was separated from the good. Now, from Genesis 6 and on, it's the good that has to be separated from the bad. And later on, when the nation of Israel was born, by the way, the nation of Israel was not even for a single verse in the entire Bible, it was never perfect. Not even once. God never chose Israel because they were so good. Because they were perfect. In fact, he said, not because you're the greatest, but because you're the least. And throughout the whole Bible, we can see how through them, he actually displayed his own character. Character of blessing when they follow him and character of, of punishing when it's due. But he, from the very beginning, called them to be separated from the pagan world. And I, I can take you to Exodus chapter 33 when they were in the desert after the terrible story of Mount Sinai and the golden calf when the Lord told Moses to make the tent of meeting, the one that you all call the tabernacle. And Moses entered there and the Bible says that he, he saw, he was standing and, and dealing with God face to face as a man speaking to his friend. And who, who did he speak to? Well, obviously, it had to have been Jesus. Because a few verses later, Moses wanted to see the face of God and he says, you cannot see it. But I do want to tell you that Moses was talking to the Lord and the Lord said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses answered him and said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? Moses basically said, Lord, if you're not leading, I'm not moving. Do whatever you want. I'm not moving out of here. You need to go with us. Because we cannot ever survive a minute without you. Amen. And Moses said, except you go with us, so we shall be what? Separate your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. 
So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Amazing. Moses was very gutsy. And God was very gracious. I would have smacked Moses just for talking like that. But then the miracle happened and all the wonderful bacon-eating Gentiles that are sitting in front of me have now been grafted into the olive tree of Israel. Some of you don't eat bacon, it's okay. Yes, sure. And interesting, the Bible says that now you, you, the Gentiles, must be separated, Gentile believers, from the pagan world. Not only Israel. You are now being called to be separated from the pagan world. And remembering in Acts chapter 15, the first ever church council happens in Jerusalem. A very confused church, predominantly made of Jews. It's Jewish people. Suddenly, they hear that Gentiles get saved also and they don't know what to do. What are we going to do with these people? They're pagans. You know what they eat? And not only that, everywhere Paul was teaching around Asia Minor and Greece, and even later on in Rome, there were people from the church of Jerusalem that followed him, and the minute he left, they showed up. We're also from the same church in Jerusalem. You heard Paul? Yes. Did he tell you everything you need to do in order to get saved? Yes. Did he also tell you that you need to? And they said, say it again. No. They told the Gentiles that they must get circumcised. If you haven't got it by now. And so the, the Gentiles said, this guy did not tell us that. I mean, we, we gladly said yes, but uh, that was not part of the deal. I mean, think about 40-year-old males that are getting saved and somebody's... Uh, and so... They are now rushing to Jerusalem to deal with this. It's an issue. What are we going to do with you? And so they discussed it. There was actually quite a strife in the church in Jerusalem about that. Jewish people were fighting over what are we going to do with the Gentiles? And then they decided, not they, the Holy Spirit decided. And then they look at this. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with a whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some, of, some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seems good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Thank God that he didn't write. It seems good to the Holy Spirit, but not to us. 
to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now he's giving the Gentile believers, the ex-pagans, the following instructions. A, abstain from things offered to idols. Stay away from idolatry, paganism. B, from blood. Go ahead with your rare steaks, whatever. Hello? <laughs> from, three, from things strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> that was the letter. Thank you. I just quoted Acts 15. These are the things you need to stay away from if you're believers coming from the Gentile world. In the cases of Noah and Lot, by the way, their removal was to exempt them, exempt the righteous from the imminent beginning of God's judgment. And we know that in Noah's case in Genesis 7, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. God is looking at the whole generation, perverted generation, not just the age group of 20 to 40. He is watching and he's saying, Noah, you're righteous. You and your family. Take them and get ready. I want you to get them into the ark. And also, I want you to take seven of each of every clean animal, a male and his female, only two <laughs> genders. Also, seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. You see, Noah was not given a snorkel. And Noah, in the very first 20 days, I want you to swim or maybe scuba dive. And then I'll rescue you. From the get-go, he said, Noah, get into the ark. You are going to be removed before I'm going to send judgment. What about Lot? Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood, uh, still stood before the Lord and Abraham came near and said, would you also, this is Abraham. Abraham was not Jewish. Do you know that? There was no Israel yet. I mean, it, it's Abraham, then it's Isaac, then it's Jacob whose name turned into Israel and then his 12 sons will be the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Abraham set the tone for what Jewish people are going to be. He was a great Negotiator. <laughs> and Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a... That's the guilt trip right now, the Jewish guilt trip. <laughs> Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. He's basically saying, it doesn't fit the way I understand you, Lord. Lord, you always take care of the righteous. You don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Abraham. Ding. Chiching. And then Abraham answered, indeed, uh, now, uh, well, uh, I who am but dust and ashes 
have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the lack of that five? And the Lord said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy the city. Oh. And he spoke to him again and said, well, suppose there should be 40 found there. And 40 and 30 and 20. Told you. Good, good deal. And then, of course, we know that it ended up with 10. And that is why the Jewish people today, when they come together to pray, corporately, they need at least 10 men. You need to appear 10 post-bar mitzvah men to be as a body before the Lord as a public prayer because of that story. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. First of all, I want you to know that what we're talking today is the physical separation of believers from this world. Believers are already called to be spiritually separated from this world while here. Spiritually, we're not to conform, but to transform. We, we cannot be like the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Remember that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting position. We are citizens, our citizenship is of heaven, and we're here just as ambassadors. Look at all of you. You can all print a card and use the title ambassador. What's your name? I'm Ambassador Amir Tzalfati. And before they put straight jacket on me, I can quote a verse telling them that I'm an ambassador of Christ. So we must be separated spiritually, but there is coming a physical separation, ladies and gentlemen. And that is what we call the rapture. And so many Christians are so legalistic and they will tell you that the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible also. How about that? The word, Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And since when we look at the Bible in the English to determine what's in the Bible? Hello? The Bible is not written in English, so don't look for rapture. In fact, people accuse me for preaching the rapture because... I am following the teaching of John Nelson Darby that surfaced to the scene in the 1800s. I never heard of him when I read 1 Thessalonians 4. Never even. And then when people started telling me that, then I read what he said. I said, well, he probably understood 1 Thessalonians 4 the same as I did. I mean, come on. The rapture. What is it? The Greek is called harpazo. And in the Latin translation of the Greek manuscript, it was called rapturo. And therefore, we're using the word rapture. And it's all, of course, based on the actual words caught up from 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And why are we so surprised that God can take physically someone to be with him while he's still alive? We have the story of Enoch. Enoch, uh, Genesis 5, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Metushelach. And after he begot Metushelach, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with the Lord and he was not, for God took him. Isn't that great? You just walk and you're gone. And why? God took it. The word death is not even in those scriptures. Look, there's nothing. God took it. Well, we have the story of Elijah, and Elijah is not, I'm not going to just walk and God's going to take me. I want some drama here. Come on. 
2 Kings 2, 10 to 11. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. There's no death. He was alive. God took him in a different way. What about Jesus himself? Acts 1, 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud, watch these words, received him out of their sight. He was caught up, taken up, and the cloud received him. Remember those words. You know, sometimes, by the way, you can be raptured sidewards, not upwards. Ask Philip, the evangelist. In Acts chapter 8, he was riding that chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. The eunuch is coming out of the water. And Philip is gone. And the eunuch did not say, well, this is not biblical. The eunuch did not take off and say, this is too weird. The eunuch actually went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Well, if he would have studied in some of the new seminaries for another 20 years, he would have probably not been so happy. He would have said, it doesn't add up. Ladies and gentlemen, what about Paul? Paul the Apostle is telling a story in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, most likely about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, or whether out of body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether the body or out of body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. What about Jesus himself? See, who taught Paul everything Paul knew? Jesus himself. Everything Paul knew, because Paul was not one of the original apostles, and, and, and so he had his own personal experience with Jesus. And in John 14, Look what Jesus himself said. Let, no, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. So many Christians teach the opposite. We prepare earth for him. Where he said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's called kingdom now theology. We must take over all seven mountains of life and prepare this earth for the return of Christ. Uh, this world? <laughs> Nobody wants this world. It's going to get worse. And we just heard all morning what this world is going to. Think we're going to make this world so righteous for Jesus to come back and reign here? I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, not where you are, where I am there, you may be also. Who is changing address here? We do, not Jesus. He's staying where he is. He's just coming to receive us so he can take us to where he is. Now, Revelation, look, 
Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from, say from, from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test who? Those who dwell on earth. Earth dwellers are the non-believers, always throughout scriptures. It's not for us. It was never meant for us. It was not designed for us. He's going to take us from, not through. Revelation 4.1. Take a look. John the Beloved is writing, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like what? A trumpet. The trumpet will usher our entrance to heaven. And John the Beloved is describing it just as he himself was invited before he saw what's going on in the throne room and before he began to describe the tribulation, he was already caught up and with the voice that sounds like a trumpet. And he says, come up here and I will show you things which must take place when? Uh, say after this. After the trumpet will usher your gathering to the Lord's throne room, things must happen. The timing of the rapture matters. It may seem petty to spend time debating the timing of something, but it, in this case, it is not because your understanding of the timing of this event comes with serious ramifications. Your understanding of the timing of the rapture will unquestionably affect how you live your life because it directly affects how you perceive the character of God, His plans for you as a Christian, and also His plans for the world in the future. Many Christians believe that the seven years tribulation are divided between relatively peaceful days for the first three and a half years and then the horrific judgment from God knows as the wrath of God for the remaining three and a half years. And I submit to you this afternoon, this is not biblical. It's not biblical because from the get-go, what is preserving this world right now from going completely crazy? the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine all the Christians are gone from all ways of society? They're gone. They would be killing babies in the street. They will be, listen, the minute we are out of here, the celebration will begin. And it's a celebration of ungodliness, of chaos, of death, of deception, of fear, of anger, all the characteristics of the one who came to still kill and destroy. The Antichrist has to appear and who is giving him his power, his throne and, 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 and his authority? Who? Satan. It's going to be a satanic ruled world with no believers in it. You're going to tell me it's going to be peaceful and nice? What is, the earth, what, what is the wrath of God in the context of the tribulation? Let me teach you some Hebrew. The word for wrath in Hebrew is za'am, rage, wrath. And in your language, there's another word called indignation. I don't know why, but it's your problem, not mine. We have one word for that. Za'am. Za'am is what is being described in the Old Testament as what God is going to do in the last week of the 70 weeks that Daniel had in mind. In Daniel chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, in that amazing vision that he had of the ram and the goat, now 
as he, Gabriel, was speaking with me, Daniel, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and he stood me upright and he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. What does that mean? It means that the indignation, what is the other word for indignation? Wrath. What is the Hebrew word? Za'am. I will tell you that in the latter part of the wrath, the Antichrist is going to declare himself as God. But he is saying it's going to be the latter part of the wrath, which means the full seven years are the wrath of God. In Daniel 11, 36 to 37, then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God. He shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. He shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished. Let me tell you, he's going to rise. It's going to be the wrath of God for seven years. The latter part of the wrath, he's going to declare himself as God. And let me tell you, he's going to come to an end once the wrath has been accomplished. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. You see, in the Greek New Testament, the word wrath appears 34 times. It's the Greek word orge. And it's amazing because when we took the book of Daniel of the Old Testament and we look at the Greek translation of it to compare, which is the one that the Greek described Daniel's wrath with the one Paul describes the wrath, it is exactly the same word. So if Daniel talked about the whole seven years, Paul knew exactly what he was writing about. The word Paul is using for wrath is the very same word being used by Daniel. And this is exactly the word that he wrote to a confused church in Thessaloniki. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to do to you, to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who what? Delivers us, what? From the wrath to come. We will be delivered from what is about to come. Not through, but from that which will come. First Thessalonians, the same church that heard so much about it. In chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Not to half a wrath. To wrath. The whole thing is not for us but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake like you are, are you awake? In this, this is typology to, to, to that means you're alive. <laughs> Look at you. You're alive, I hope. Whether you wake or sleep, we should live together with him. We don't die. Whether we are awake or sleep, we will live to forever together with him. Now, I could go back to Daniel 8 and tell you that Daniel, just like Joel, just like other prophets of the Old Testament, always had an amazing way to prophesy about things to come in the near future and things to come in the far future there was always dual fulfillment. And when Daniel spoke of the ram and the goat, the near future 
was about Alexander the Great that is going to conquer the world. And the fact that out of the four kingdoms that will come after Alexander died, there will be a little horn known as Antiochus IV, known as Epiphanes, who will be a foreshadow of the Antichrist in the future. He was, he's probably going to do the exact same thing, but in a smaller scale of those days. And it is exactly what happened. It's very interesting. I don't know if you know that. When Alexander the Great, the one that before he turned 30 already conquered all the world of those days, he made it to Jerusalem. And he made it to the Temple Mount. And he made it right there to where the temple was standing. And the high priest walked out, welcomed him, and said to him the following thing. Mr. Alexander the Great, we've been expecting you. And Alexander was like, what are you talking about, Willis? No, 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 he didn't say that. <laughs> but listen, the high priest showed Alexander the Great Daniel and his prophecies that the Greece will take over the Medo-Persian Empire. And Alexander was so amazed that the holy scriptures of the Jews prophesied that he is going to come, that he ordered that the temple of the Jews will not be destroyed. The only foreign religion temple that he ordered not to be destroyed in his conquest. It's only after when he died and after his kingdom was split to four and Antiochus came out of one of them, that the temple was desecrated. And that is when the Maccabees eventually defeated the Greek and rededicated the temple. And thus the festival of Hanukkah is now coming to the world because Hanukkah means rededication. And while Daniel emphasized several straits related to this evil Greco-Syrian king, we see that the prophet also referring to a future time when there will be a far more dangerous satanic figure than Antiochus. And that is why he said in the latter part, and the vision of the evening and morning which was told is true, therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. He vividly portrayed the characteristics that the future Antichrist is going to embody. He fears, his fierce persecution of the, Jewish, of the Jews foreshadowed the horrific persecution that the Antichrist will target Israel in the future. His level of sinister intrigue portrays how the Antichrist will rise to power in the future. All of this is about Antiochus. And just as Antiochus IV was empowered by Satan, so will the Antichrist be. And just as he prospered for a time, so will the Antichrist. But the Antichrist will advance through deceit, just as Antiochus did. Antiochus was infamous for the attempt to portray himself as divinity. By the way, even minted coin that says on it, Theos, Epiphanes, which means God manifests. He thought he's God. And on both accounts, the motive for relentlessly persecuting the Jews is a disdain for, uh, is a disdain for, of course, their God. But I want to tell you something. In Matthew 24, Jesus honored the prophet Daniel by saying to the Jewish people, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the future Antichrist, the one that is much greater, the one that he will have a huge sculpture of himself standing and will demand the world to worship him as if he's God. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is not coming to start a new religion. Jesus is the word of God. He's honoring the prophets that God sent to give the word of God to the people of God. He's saying spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him 
understand. You see, Jewish people in the first century only knew the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus never quoted the New Testament even once. <laughs> Jesus was not even a Christian. Oh. <laughs> Buddy, you're crossing the line here. Listen, Jesus is Christ, not a Christian. He's not a follower of Christ. <laughs> you understand that? Jesus was not a Christian. If you have a problem with that, talk to him. <laughs> Listen, I, I led tours in Israel. And after a few days, when I take them to some holy sites with some churches, an older lady came to me and said, so I'm confused. Was Jesus Catholic or Orthodox? <laughs> and I said to her, I'll confuse you even more. It was Jewish. But Paul's understanding of a specific future period of wrath undoubtedly came from the prophet Daniel, undoubtedly came from the Old Testament, because even Paul never quoted the New Testament. Only the Old. Every time Paul says it is written, every time he quotes Scripture, it's the Old Testament. So you understand that Daniel 8 when you read what, Paul wrote, what, what Daniel wrote, you understand what Paul wrote later on. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the most of, of, of hosts. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Take a look at what 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4 says. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he's God. Almost the same terminology that Daniel used, Paul is using. Now the seven years of tribulation is the last week of Daniel and we know that it begins with the rise of the Antichrist and it ends up with the death and the fall of the Antichrist. Seven years. He only has seven years, this guy. <laughs> His whole peace can only last for three and a half years. That's why I love how 2 Thessalonians end up. 2 Thessalonians, which we just read from, ends up like this. It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Jesus is the Lord of peace and he can give you peace always and everywhere and everywhere. Every way and everywhere. The Antichrist can give you a fake peace and even that for only three and a half years. And not everywhere, just in the Middle East. Ladies and gentlemen, you think that the beginning of the tribulation is so peaceful? Take a look at this. The first part of the tribulation, the seven seals and the seven trumpets, is about war and famine and death. At first, it's a fourth of the population that is destroyed. And then we're talking about a third of the, the trees and a third of sea life and a third of fresh water is going to be poisoned. There will be demonic, demonic locusts. There will be the two, the two witnesses that are going to exercise some amazing things. These are, are all the seven years, of course, are the indignation. They're all the wrath. And, and we know that they are Jacob's trouble. They are trouble for Israel. They are trouble for the Jewish people. There is no three and a half years of wonderful time for the Jews. Let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It is far from that. The tribulation has nothing to do with the church. It has twofold purpose. One is, is, is for the salvation of the nation of Israel. And the other one is to take care of the ungodly, to judge the ungodly world. Jeremiah 30 verse 7, Alas, for the day is great, so that none of it like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Daniel in chapter 12, the verses, verses 1 and 2, And at the time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time you think the holocaust was bad the tribulation will be 10 times more don't tell me 
that the Jews will have fun, not even in the beginning. They will be deceived, yes, but fun, great times. Hosea 5.15, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense and then they will seek my face and in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. As long as the Jews are having it good, as long as Israel is having it okay, Israel will never ever be able to understand their need for the Messiah. They do have a will and an aspiration for Messiah. In fact, the five red heifers, hello. <laughs> for them, the temple might be built. Messiah, one of the most important rabbis in Israel's history said that there were only nine red heifers in history. The first one was by Moses. And he said that the 10th one will come by the Messiah. So they're waiting for it. So for them, red heifer now means Messiah is coming. But who is in reality coming to deceive them? The Antichrist. Who is in, that's why I'm not happy. That's why I'm not gonna start dancing because five red heifers landed in Israel. That's why even more so we need to pray for their salvation before the Antichrist deceives them. Through affliction, Israel will seek him. This is not a case for the church. It is also going to be the outpouring of God's wrath on the godless, Christ-rejecting world. And Ephesians 5 is talking about that. Once we understand the purpose of the tribulation, we understand that it is not designed for the church. But the church is confused about it. And what is the source of that confusion? First of all, what are you? Pre, mid, or post? All three options. It's as if we're talking about a steak dinner. How do you want it? Rare, medium well, or well done? How do you want to get to heaven? Rare or well done? Mid, now watch this, mid-tribulation and post-tribulation have issues because the imminent appearing of Jesus is no longer imminent according to them. Be, look, a mid-trib guy will actually tell you Jesus can come any minute three and a half years from now. <laughs> he cannot come now. For them, imminency is taken away. Only mid or post-tribulation rapture believers give Jesus a minimum number of years before he can come to take us. According to their theory, he simply cannot come earlier. Nowhere in the, you know what? And since they're in trouble when they do that, they say that the tribulation started already. <laughs> Hello? Have you seen the table that I just showed you, that chart? That's the tribulation. I was in Amsterdam a year ago, and uh, so there were some COVID restrictions there, and, and, and restaurants were closed at 8 p.m. And they were so angry. We can't have steak after 8 p.m. And like, wow, that's your problem, huh? <laughs> that's how I feel about people who think that the tribulation has begun. On their way to Starbucks, they think that the tribulation has begun. <laughs> On their way to in and out they think the tribulation has begun. Where are we? Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. He didn't say, I come quickly, but not in the next three and a half years. Furthermore, Paul was sure that it is going to happen in his lifetime. The dead in Christ are going to rise and we that are alive and remain will then proceed. We, he was sure it's going to happen in his lifetime. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15, 17, we read it before, but now in light of all of that, look what he says, for this way for you, the, world, the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Remember the voice that is like trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who? 
we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. He didn't say, and those that are going to live in the future will have to wait at least until three and a half years into the tribulation and then it's going to happen. If he thought it's going to happen at his lifetime, how much more we should believe that even more so. The work of the sun was not, some of the, you look, if you think you need to go through the tribulation, you think you need to suffer. And the work of Jesus is not enough to satisfy the Father. In John 19, after this, Jesus knowing that the, all things were now accomplished and look at the end, Jesus had received the sour wine and he said, it is what? Finished. Allow me to, take, to make something very clear. If you're in the mindset that the church is not worthy enough to enter into heaven now, and that we need to suffer at least some, if not all the tribulation, you're forgetting that Jesus took on the full cup of the Father's wrath already. <laughs> Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That's the Passover. There were four cups in Passover and the cup of judgment, which is the second cup, he took alone in the Garden of Gethsemane because the first cup, the cup of, uh, the cup of sanctification, he showed them, but then he took the, the cup after supper, which is number three, and he gave it to them. And then he said, the last one we will take only in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Later on, the cup of blessing. But what about number two? What about the cup of judgment that every Jew knows that we need to take before supper, not after? That one is the cup he took by himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, all by himself. And some Christian come and attack me and says, look, it says that it's the trumpet of God, so it must be the trumpet judgment. Oh, really? All trumpets in the Bible are the trumpets of judgment? When the Jews every year blow the trumpet in the synagogue, it's a trumpet of judgment. When the priest was blowing the trumpet every, every Shabbat in the temple corner, was it the judgment? They love to blunder things to make it sound so sensational. Let me tell you something. There is another trumpet and it's the trumpet of God to receive his people to the place that he prepared for them. <laughs> and by the way, it's the trumpet that only we will be able to hear. No, the whole, the whole world will hear something else when Christ will come back with us. But until then, when he comes for us, they will not have a clue where we are. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you, Mr. We shall not all sleep, but all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet in preparation for landing, please fold your tray tables. In preparation for departure, please change your body. What are you talking about, Willis? I'm talking about the fact that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot, even if you work out five, six, seven times a week or twice a day, you're still dying. This body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Behold, I tell you mystery, when the trumpet will sound, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> This corruptible must put incorruption. This mortal must be put immortal. Look at you, you're dying, all of you, unless you're below 18 and then you have still two years to go up and then we're all going down. First Thessalonians 4, as we read, and even First Corinthians, it speaks of the trumpet of God in preparation to receive the people of God into the kingdom of God up there in heaven. It has nothing to do with the trumpet judgment. They blunder things. Just like Paul wrote, excuse me, in 1 John it says in 2.18, little children, it is the last hour and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which you know that it is the last hour. You see, there are Antichrists that, by the way, they came from or from amongst us and they deny the power of God and the deity of Jesus and they're false teachers but there is the Antichrist. 
And that is the Antichrist who will come in the future. So, with tribulations versus the tribulation. John 16, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. That's not the great tribulation. It is the daily tribulation of the Christian. From the day the church was born to the day the church will be taken, we are not promised a garden of roses. We are promised that in this world, we will have tribulation. Just like there is a difference between Antichrist and the Antichrist, tribulations and the tribulation, there are also several different trumpets mentioned in Scripture. And the other problem that mid and post-tribulation uh, uh, um, rapture believers is 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word, by letter, as if it's from us, as though the day of Christ, the rapture, has already come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, and then he goes to describe him. And then all of them stop reading right there. You see? And I'm like, wait a minute. Let me tell you something. First of all, in verse two, Paul is communicating that they have not missed the rapture. Hence, as though the day of Christ has come. But we believe also that Jesus could come for his bride at any moment because that's what scripture reveals and it's in, that's what the early church believed also. But I will also submit to you that in verse 3, it's often misunderstood. It may seem to suggest that the falling away and the man of sin revealed will take place before the rapture. But I will tell you something. <laughs> the beginning, that day will not come is not even in the original text. Did you know that? It's not. It's, not, it's italicized. That day, uh, you see, that day will not come unless. Basically, if you want to understand the message of Paul to the Thessalonians, you cannot stop at verse 4. You have to continue in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he might be revealed in his own time. The Antichrist is not going to be revealed on our time of our rapture. No, he has his own time. What is the timetable of the Antichrist? The 70 weeks of Daniel. That's for him the time. That's his own time. And when it comes the time that is designed for Israel in Daniel, he will show up. What for? To cut a deal with Israel. To then break that deal with Israel. It has nothing to do with us. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. You see, Paul described the sequence of events. The believers are the only reason that the Antichrist is not showing up yet. You cannot tell me that the Antichrist is already risen and revealed while we're still here. It's not biblical. Only when we are out of here, he can be revealed. Do you understand that? Thank you. <laughs> it's what I call the great exchange. Satan is thrown down, we go up. So why we emphasize a pre-tribulation rapture? The Lord's imminent appearing gives a sense of urgency to persuade people to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 is telling us about that. Also, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I'm telling you, I know people. If you and I knew that the rapture is going to be at a certain day, three and a half years from now, we will all set our alarm clock and go to Vegas. Listen. The reason why we don't know the day and the hour is so we will be ready now. 
and live a holy life now. The timing of the rapture affects how we live today. Pre-tribulation believers fulfill the calling of Colossians chapter 3. If then we were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. The rapture is our blessed hope and provides peace in this chaotic world as 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about. As Titus 2 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteous, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing, appearing is in the cloud of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It also encourages holy living and desire to fulfill our calling while we remain on this world. And I will conclude with Romans 13 and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, and therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife, which is where a lot of people Christians find themselves today in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And I want us all to read together Revelation 22, 20. Let's read together. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that we have, for the imminency of the rapture, for the fact that it is biblical, that it is around the corner, and that we are not destined to your wrath. We thank you. We pray now for the people of Israel that as many as, as you will draw unto you, they will open their eyes, as Second Corinthians says, chapter 3, that once the veil is removed, and it's only by you, Jesus, they will, of course, see and get saved. Father, we thank you and we bless you in the name of the Holy One of Israel, Yeshua Mashiach, we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.